0: The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are simply that, opinions. All are presumed innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law. Sensitive topics are discussed. Discretion is advised.
1: On this week's Court TV podcast, we dig deep into week two of testimony in the Derek Chauvin murder trial and the series of medical experts called by the prosecution to establish George Floyd's cause of death. Court TV's Michael Ayala joins me to talk about the impact of that testimony and the defense's attempts to counter it.
0: This is the Court TV Podcast with Vinny Politan.
1: I'm Vinny Politan. Welcome to the Court TV Podcast. Thank you for downloading and listening. We are in the midst of the trial against Derek Chauvin, the man accused of murdering George Floyd. And there are three charges, third-degree murder, second-degree murder, and manslaughter. And in all three charges, one of the elements prosecutors need to prove beyond any and all reasonable doubt is cause of death. They have to prove that Derek Chauvin caused the death of George Floyd in all three. It is um, part of the case, part of their burden. And again, it's beyond a reasonable doubt. So to do that, and in every case I've I've covered in my career at Court TV— The person who comes in to talk about cause of death is the medical examiner. The one who does the autopsy comes in and explains to the jury what he or she found and what caused the death. And prosecutors rely upon that. That's not what is happening in Minneapolis in this case. Prosecutors have minimized the medical examiner from Hennepin County, Dr. Baker, and brought in a whole team of experts to talk about cause of death. It's unusual. It's unorthodox. But it may be effective. Let's talk about it. We've got Michael Ayala with me, uh, Court TV anchor. Uh, uh, Michael, first of all, let me start. I want to start with this simple question, which I I don't know if it is that simple. But after listening to all the experts testify and listening to the prosecution case, according to prosecutors and their experts, what is the cause of death for George Floyd?
2: I think they did a pretty decent job of supplementing. Dr. Andrew Baker's testimony um, to the point where I think it's clear that they're stating that it's because of asphyxia. Uh, And again, they made the point that you can call it by many different names, but essentially a lack of oxygen caused the heart uh, to fail um, and ultimately ended up killing George Floyd. And that lack of oxygen was caused by, in the words of Dr. Baker, the subdual and restraint by the officers.
1: Okay, okay. Dr. Baker wasn't necessarily agreeing with all the other experts that were brought in. I mean, Dr. Baker said that the knee on the back of the neck did not stop the flow of air, didn't block the airway, whereas all the other experts said that's what happened, which you know matches the video and what George Floyd was saying. But Dr. Baker, the medical examiner, didn't say that. So, uh, are, when you say supplement, what do you what do you mean? I, I, to me, there's a contradiction. And I'm a little worried about that.
2: Well, what, what, the, what the prosecution was able to get him to say, he stuck to the line that the heart stopped due to subdual restraint and neck compression. Okay, um, what, what their claim was that the neck compression um, caused this lack of airflow. One of the things that they also got Dick, Dr. Baker to say was that in terms of cutting off air and what effect the positioning Um, had on George Floyd and his ability to get air, he would defer to a pulmonologist. That wasn't something that he could opine on. I think by getting him to say that, they then supplemented his testimony with, you have to agree, Vinny, one of the best pulmonologists I've ever seen on the stand, uh, Dr. Martin Tobin, who was incredible in explaining and capturing um, the jury uh, and, and, and bringing them in and simplifying what happened to George Floyd with what I thought was incredible testimony. Not only that, he did tremendous use of animations. um, And really, I still, to this day, can't forget his explanation of what George Floyd was trying to do with his fingers, was trying to keep himself alive with his fingers. I mean, that was some devastating testimony. So that's what I mean by supplement, which is why they brought in, I think it was four other doctors in addition to Tobin, to sort of fill in the areas that as a pathologist, at least from their side of the argument, could not fill it.
1: I guess that's what they're going to do. But, but to me, it's still a contradiction. And, and, you know, you're allowed to do it. There's, there's nothing against the rules here, bringing in experts and not relying upon your medical examiner who works for the county, works for the state and is the, um, uh, the witness who testifies about cause of death for every other case you have in the office. Uh, to me, it's just unusual. But you are 1000 percent right that uh, Dr. Tobin, the pulmonologist, was a phenomenal witness. He was unbelievable. Um, oh, <laughs> the whole thing. Well, let's let, let's take a listen to uh, Dr. Tobin here, talking about um, what caused uh, the brain damage and, and what happened to George Floyd.
3: Yes, uh, Mr. Floyd died from a low level of oxygen. And this caused damage to his brain that we see, and it also caused uh, a PEA arrhythmia that caused his heart to stop.
0: And by uh, PEA, you mean pulseless electrical activity.
3: Correct. It's a particular form of an abnormal beat of the heart, an arrhythmia, a particular form of it. You were right about his voice. It's it's
1: captivating. It's hard to... I mean, we've seen so many experts through the years, Michael Ayala. And this is one who I would put in the list of top five that I've ever seen in a courtroom. And I don't know how to explain it. He just kind of has it right. That 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 way of explaining that way of of saying what he's saying. And you're just following along. You're almost in a trance listening to this man.
2: Yeah, I mean, he 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 just had a way of. He, he felt like you felt like you were, obviously, he's one of the smartest men on the planet, right? I mean, he took complicated, and I always said, you know, you want to know how smart someone is, um, see how they explain something complicated and break it down into its simplest terms. So he did that incredibly well. But then it you felt like you were talking to your, you know, your, your grandfather. You know, the way he spoke, it was so comforting. Just the entire package was, you
1: could not have done that. Well, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this, because you and I have been working uh, at Court TV for many, 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 many years, right? And, and following trials. Why do we not see this before, where the, the prosecution, the state comes in and brings in a, a bunch of people to talk about cause of death? I mean, every trial we cover, Michael, one person comes in, the medical examiner comes in. Today, it's all about uh, cause and manner of death, and we're going to hear from the medical examiner. Every case but here we're hearing from um, different specialists who are coming in and explaining things to this jury. So, so why is it? And is it, is it better? Is it, is it, is it more credible, less credible? What do you think? You know, that's
2: a question for the jury. And it's something that I've been asking a a lot of people, the folks on my show, people on social media. I mean, does this jury give more weight to the testimony of Dr. Baker, which I don't think necessarily leads them away from the cause of death, but, I understand it's more problematic for prosecution. Or do they give more weight to the the other experts that were brought in, including one other forensic pathologist, Dr. Lindsay Thomas? Do they give them more? Um, Do they see them working together in concert, as I said, as a a supplement to it? I think that's probably going to be more of it. But the the answer to the question that you first asked was, why don't we see this more? I, I honestly don't know. I I can't remember, I was back in my brain trying to think of a case where the the cause of death was a major issue in the case, and the medical examiner did not give the prosecution what they wanted. I could not come up with a case. So I could not come up with a case that had a similar situation, which would have required this supplementation, as we're calling it, or as I'm calling it. Um, And so I don't remember another case. Another thing I want to ask about, uh, and I'll ask you this, Benny, Normally in cases like this, you have a, a voir dire of the experts before you bring them into court. And you te- you have them testify, not testify, but you sort of voir dire them. You ask them out of the presence of the jury what they're going to testify to so folks can get a sense of what that's about. They didn't even do that here. Um, so I, I don't know why that didn't happen. Um, these are things that I've been trying to get to the bottom of, and I I haven't been able to.
1: It's really different. and And. I think people uh, for the jury, they may not know that this is different, right? Because this is, the, you know, it's probably, the, you know, the one trial they're sitting in on. Maybe they didn't never did a criminal trial before. They'd never watched a trial on court TV. And, oh, this is just the way you do it. So uh, I think the impact of this trial is is, um, I don't think any jury's going to look at it and say, well, this never happened before but. but People like you and I are saying it, saying, well, maybe this is the way it should be done. I wanted to listen to one more thing that Dr. Tobin talked about, because this is a a big issue, especially on the body cam footage. When George Floyd is saying he can't breathe, uh, but the officers are saying, well, if you're talking, you're breathing. And and Dr. Tobin spoke about this.
0: The jurors may have heard uh, one of the officers say, if you can speak, you can breathe. Yes. Is, Is that a true statement?
3: It's a true statement, but it gives you an enormous false sense of security. Certainly at the moment that you are speaking, you are breathing. But it doesn't tell you that you're going to be breathing five seconds later.
1: That's an interesting take on that because he's giving the defense what they need, which is if you are, in fact, speaking, you are breathing, which is what I thought going into this trial. But then I, I was questioning, is that really true? And it is. Uh, what'd you think of the way Tobin and the prosecution handled that issue?
2: Um, I thought they handled it perfectly because they did need to deal with that issue. That issue was out there. Um, that was something that had been sort of going around. Uh, and I think it was part of sort of the defense's narrative and in a number of ways, they went after a lot of the defense's narrative. And this was one of those cases. Um, the idea that if you could speak, you could breathe. Um, and you know, I think, Dr. Tobin, as he handled most of the issues presented to him, has handled it perfectly. I mean, the idea is, yes, you can speak, and you can breathe, but, you know, just a few seconds later, the situation could change in a false sense of security. Um, but one thing that I took away from that testimony is, you know, how, what are we asking our officers to do here? You know, it's like, they, you know, it, sure, if somebody's speaking, they're breathing, but then I'm as a, as a pulmonologist, I know that that's, that could change in five seconds. The police officer on the scene doesn't necessarily know that. How much are we expecting them to actually know? So I'm not sure how how powerful that was overall, Um, but it needed to be addressed, and I thought he addressed it well.
1: All right. Now, prosecutors brought in a pathologist. The first pathologist they brought in was not (laughs) the medical examiner, but someone who used to work in Hennepin County, Dr. Lindsay Thomas. Let's take a listen.
0: Do you uh, have an opinion to a reasonable degree of medical certainty If Mr. Floyd would have died that night had he not been subject to the uh, subdual and restraint of the police.
4: There's no evidence to suggest he would have died that night, except for the interactions with law enforcement.
1: That's an important statement right there, Michael, because we know there's there's several things going on in George Floyd. I mean, the, the heart conditions that he's dealing with, the drugs that he's dealing with. But the way Dr. Thomas was able to answer that question uh, sort of minimizes the other contributing factors and says, hey, this this is it. That's the old Michael Ayala. But for there you go. And that's what they were going for in a
2: roundabout way. That's exactly what they were getting for, because I, I brought that up because at the end of the day. You can get into all these intervening, superseding causes, but 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 juries are simple. They're just regular folks. And if you can get them to understand that it's a but for, if he had not had this situation, he would have been alive. I think that's where you want to go with it. You may not want to state that specifically, but that's where you want to go. That's where Dr. Thomas took them very clearly and plainly. She didn't just minimize those other factors, Vinny. She eradicated them. She was like, it didn't matter. A healthy person that day subjected to the same thing that George Floyd was subjected to would have not survived. And that's that's very clear and plain and clearly what they were not going to get from their own forensics pathologist. So they brought their own in. And of course, the defense is going to say that when they do their closing arguments. But at the end at the end of the day, she was very
1: Uh, she also had to face cross examination. And um, Nelson, again, is focusing in on the heart condition of George Floyd and the drugs. And in this part of the cross uh, talks about his heart disease.
4: Let's take the police out of this, and I'm gonna ask you a hypothetical. Let's assume you found Mr. Floyd dead in his residence, no police involvement, no drugs, right? The only thing you found would be these facts about his heart. What would you conclude to be the cause of death? In that very narrow set of circumstances, uh, I would probably conclude that the cause of death was his heart disease.
1: I know what Nelson's trying to do, and I understand it. I, I just don't know if this was the best way to do it, because in front of the jury, you're creating a hypothetical that isn't this situation. And the jury's just going to say, yeah, well, okay, yeah. Uh, I, to me, I, I understand what he wants to get out, which is that there, there's, he doesn't have to prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. It just has to be a reasonable alternative explanation for the death and that's how he's trying to get it out this way do you think it worked because i i thought it, it kind of fumbled it a little bit
2: well worked is a relative word this guy's got difficult facts to deal with Vinny. right at the end of the day but clearly what he's doing is he's creating a scenario for this jury where each of the other individual situations going on with george floyd the drugs in his system as well as his heart conditions He's suggesting that both of them singularly could have killed him, that he's got he's got the Dr. Baker saying that he has um, ruled folks uh, as an overdose death based on the amount of fentanyl that was in George Floyd's system. And he's got this doctor who, again, remember, they're both prosecution witnesses. He's got them both to say that these underlying conditions that he's saying are contributing factors and perhaps more. Than substantial, because he is trying to undercut this idea of substantial, right? So if he can get these two other conditions to both be legitimate causes of death, then how do you then say that this third situation, this subdual neck restraint by the officers and specifically by George, uh, by Derek Chauvin, is a substantial factor when I've got two other factors that play into this cause of death? By definition, right? It's not substantial because. I got three different things that could have caused his death and were legitimately, separately, could have caused his death. So I understand where he's going. And I, don't, I think, it, I think he's, he's, again, he's going to wrap this all up and it's closing. And it, I think it's going to make a lot more sense.
1: Yeah, but I think the hypothetical should, have, should not say, let's get rid of this. Let's get rid of that. It should, just should have been here. Hypothetically, you are given uh, this information about George Floyd. Here's his, his, his blockages. Here's, you know, whatever other factors. And, and then you ask, hypothetically, is, is that enough to kill someone? Is, 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 is that and, and he's dead. Would that be enough for you to determine a, a cause of death? And, and by by in the question, taking things out, I think he set himself up and then uh, uh, Blackwell, the prosecutor, destroyed him on redirect. Anyhow, we've got more to get to. We still haven't even talking about the medical. We're talking about cause of death and we haven't even gotten to the medical examiner. That's the bizarre part of what's going on here. When we come back, we will. Listen to the medical examiner and then the closer uh, for cause of death for prosecutors, who was just another phenomenal doctor who I've uh, I've put his name in my black book in case I ever have issues with my heart. We'll talk about that next. For more Court
0: TV, watch it on cable, over the air, Roku, or go to CourtTV.com and stream live gavel-to-gavel coverage. Catch up on the big moments from our current cases and relive some of Court TV's most historic trials. Court TV, your front row seat to justice.
5: Had you seen any of the videos at the time you started your work? I have not. I was aware that at least one video had gone viral on the Internet, but I intentionally chose not to look at that until I had examined Mr. Floyd. Um, I did not want to bias my exam by going in with any preconceived notions that might lead me down one pathway or another.
1: That is the medical examiner, Dr. Andrew Baker, explaining to the jury how he went about doing the autopsy of George Floyd. And I thought it was fascinating. I thought it gave him incredible credibility to uh, be able to testify that way. But remember, prosecutors not 100 percent happy with Dr. Baker, which is why they brought in four other people to talk about cause of death. Extremely unusual. Um, But Michael Ayala is still with us. Uh, Michael, I found Dr. Baker incredibly credible. I saw him as an independent person. I generally don't. You know, I take a big grain of salt with experts because one side hires experts. They're always going to say what helps them. Another side hires experts. They're going to say what helps them. But, uh, you know, Dr. Baker, prosecutors always have to argue that the medical examiner doesn't work for us. And he doesn't. And it was really clear here that he doesn't work for the prosecutor. He's independent. He's the he's going to be the only independent person in this trial talking about cause of death.
2: Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I think I think that's part of the reason why we saw the five other experts come in, because they knew that Dr. Baker was going to take the stand. He was going to sound credible. He was going to say the things that he said that might be uh, difficult for this jury to decipher, but I remain steadfast in that he wasn't—he wasn't deadly to the prosecution's case. I think he said some things that they would have preferred he not say, but I think in the end um, he was saying essentially the same thing he has always said. Uh, again, the heart stopped, which everyone heart stops, right? So that—that's clear. Um, and then his reasons for why the heart stopped was. As a result of this subdual and restraint. And he was really not going to go much deeper than that. And I think the prosecution can clearly um, say to this jury that, you know, his expertise only goes up to a certain level. And we took, we brought in our other experts to take you to that next level, things that won't necessarily show up. And they did testify to this, the other experts, things that don't show up on a um, during a um, autopsy. And so, yes, he was credible. I don't think he was deadly to the prosecution's case. But I, I disagree with you on one hand, and I want to get your opinion on this. When he did testify that the knee wasn't on the neck, I thought that affected his credibility. Because one of the things that we saw the other doctor, do, Dr. Tobin specifically, was he studied that tape. And he went through that tape with this jury. And I think his account of what happened on that tape is going to be the definitive account for this jury. By admitting he hadn't watched the tape before the autopsy, I get a sense, or at least I took away, he didn't really study the tape as much. And then later on, by saying the knee wasn't on the neck, which is inexplicable to me without any more explanation, um, I thought his credibility was hurt a little bit.
1: I have seen the video from the reverse angle and there are times where it it doesn't even appear to be on the neck. I mean, it appears to be at the base of the neck in between the shoulder blades. It's, it's a very, um, it's a very subtle difference between the two areas, but you know, some of those still frames that, that the defense has pointed out and I've looked at, it's not on the neck. It's, it's clearly between the shoulder blades and, and, and the highest, I think you say, is the base of the neck.
2: No question. And you're credible because you use the operative words at times. It's clear. And Eric Nelson did a great job by showing this, this I forget what he called it, camera angle bias or whatever he called it. Um, and I thought that was an effective use of those two cameras there. But there are clearly more than enough times and, and minutes during that tape where the knee is clearly on the neck. Clearly. And you've got testimony from a number of bystanders right there at the scene telling you that the knee was on the neck. Um, so, again, I agree with you. There were that the, the video and the comparison of the still frame from the two different angles was effective. But it's, I think the operative word is at times, at times.
1: Well, we, we shall see. I think the jury is not going to rely upon anyone else telling them where the knee is. I think they will just rely upon their own. Interpretations of it, and it'll be up to the attorneys to point them in the direction and where to look, and at what points of the video you can actually see it. Uh, but we'll see how that all goes. But uh, again, Dr. Baker, the main difference between him and the other experts who were hired uh, by the prosecution, whether or not they got paid or not, um, but were hired by the prosecution, all said that the airflow stopped, and and that was consistent with George Floyd saying "I can't breathe," and consistent with what. Um, Everyone was saying when we saw the viral video, but Dr. Baker didn't say that he he didn't. He did not say that. And he basically gave the opinion that the heart had to work extra hard and is the stress of the situation of of being, um, you know, subdued by police. Right. So the the question that I think Dr. Baker raises uh, for the defense is, well, you know, was it really? The actions of Derek Chauvin, well, it wasn't him cutting off air to uh, Derek Chauvin uh, for George Floyd to breathe. I mean, Dr. Baker clearly told you that did not happen. So he, he was not cutting off his air supply. Uh, Dr. Baker says no. Then all of a sudden, now the focus goes directly on the heart and the flow of blood to the heart. And that is where the opening is for the defense when it comes to heart disease and the impact of fentanyl. That's why I think Dr. Baker is so bad for prosecutors, because it, it, it opens the door just a little bit for the defense on this causation issue. It
2: does. But again, I think the prosecution did an excellent job with preemptive strikes, uh, because I think we had at least three different uh, experts testify that this did not function the way you watch George Floyd, Floyd die. Very clearly. It's a very slow, progressive thing. Um, but that that is not indicative of a heart event, okay? And I think that, again, was, uh, you talked about the cardiologist, why uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Rich was brought in. Um, part of what he was doing there was explaining that this, this did not happen the way you would expect a heart event to happen. And the circumstances surrounding it, the, 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 the physical um, nature of George Floyd um, and his, his symptoms and the problems that he had didn't necessarily support that conclusion. And I think by opening the door with Dr. Baker saying, hey, I, you'll have to go to a pulmonologist to go deeper into this, this whole inquiry. I think by proxy, he's, he's saying you go to specialists. So you got the pulmonologist and the cardiologist. So yes, I think there are parts of his testimony which open a door slightly for the defense, but I don't think it was depth.
1: Well, we'll see because the defense has an opportunity to bring in their experts. And and most of the trials that I've seen, if the prosecution expert says one thing, there'll be a defense expert who will say the exact opposite. And that's where you get into the the world of hired experts. And uh, do they cancel each other or are these prosecution experts more credible than what the defense is going to put in? Uh, We'll see. We'll see. But but to me, the one independent person is Dr. Baker. Now, one more thing that Dr. Baker uh, talked about was uh, fentanyl. Let's listen to that.
4: Have you certified deaths by overdose?
5: Hundreds of times a year.
4: Have you certified deaths uh, as an overdose where the level of fentanyl was similar to the level of fentanyl in Mr. Floyd? Yes. Have you done so where levels were lower? Yes. Or where higher? Yes. It's the lowest level of death of fentanyl overdose that you have certified.
5: Uh, Without doing a search of my office's records, I'm not prepared to give you an answer on that. I know I've seen levels as low as three nanograms per ml and possibly lower. Um, Like all death investigations that we do, if it involves a drug overdose, you also want to try to piece together the person's history of how much they've been using it, how long they've been using it, if they're tolerant to it at all. There's a lot of variables that go into it, but but I've seen levels as low as three, in some cases even lower if there's other intoxicants on board, such as alcohol or benzodiazepines.
1: So there you've got the uh, medical examiner saying this is a potential lethal level of fentanyl. And I think that's pretty much all they wanted to take away from him because now they'll have their own experts come in and, and explain it. For the defense,
2: yeah, no question, and and you know it it's it was an important testimony, but I think it sort of falls into the same category um, as the the heart scenario where there's a hypothetical um, situation. Um, I think this questioning was a little more elegant to your point earlier, um, and again, it sets this jury up with the difficulty of determining the actual cause of death. What was the substantial cause of death? It gives them two other causes of death to, to sort of work through. Um, but again, I think the best evidence in this case, and, and, and perhaps he's the only doctor who is impartial, but the best evidence is going to remain the, the videotape, right? They're going to see what was actually happening. So while you can tell me all day long that um, you could sort of, if you knew nothing else about what was going on with this individual, you would certify them as an overdose with that level of fentanyl. The fact is, that wasn't the only thing that was going on with
1: George Floyd. All right, let's finish up with, uh, I'm calling him, this is like uh, the great Mariano, the closer for cause of death, Dr. Jonathan Rich, the cardiologist.
0: What caused uh, the low level of oxygen uh, in the case of Mr. George Floyd?
5: Well, in his case, um, it was the, truly the prone restraint and positional uh, restraints that led to his
2: asphyxiation. In a nutshell, um, he was just simply unable using all of his muscles of respiration, his chest wall, uh, what we call accessory muscles of respiration, which are extra muscles that will um, be triggered in the event that you're having trouble breathing. Um, He was trying to get in enough oxygen.
5: And because he was unable to because of the position that he was subjected to, um, as we just discussed, the heart thus didn't have enough oxygen either, which then means the entire body is deprived of oxygen.
1: You know, as I, I listened to this final expert and I actually liked him more than Tobin, believe it or not. I mean, Tobin, I thought was great, but I thought Rich came in as, as a closer. Um, I'm wondering if prosecutors across the country are going to look at this and say, hey, wait a minute. We need to rethink cause of death.
2: It's possible, Vinny, but I think this was a special case. Um, I think this judge is was being a little lenient. Um, I'm not sure that you're going to find other uh, many other jurisdictions where a judge is going to allow this much additional testimony, and not only this much additional testimony, but you're going to allow them to testify as to their opinion to cause of death. I can't stress enough to our listeners how odd that is, and how objectionable it is, even though no objections were made. Again, this is what I was talking about earlier, and that normally there's this voir dire of these experts to get a sense of what they're going to testify to, and then the parties will argue over how far they can go and and a defense attorney will always say you are not qualified to opine on cause of death so it was odd in that sense and that's par for the course in this case but i'm not sure you're going to see this as a trend for those reasons
1: all right michael ayala uh, great stuff appreciate it i know you got a lot of work to do to get ready for your show you got to go on the air and uh, and of course continue to watch the trial thanks so much michael
2: all right brother appreciate it have a great one
1: all right folks um as michael said this is so unusual this is bizarre but I, I, when we come back i'm going to tell you why i really don't like what prosecutors did here it'll be it could be very effective in this case but there's a bigger picture and, and i think uh this is a, was a bad decision by prosecutors to undermine and supplement the county medical examiner we'll talk about that next
0: Renowned journalist Ashley Banfield takes you behind the scenes of the most compelling cases in history.
2: This is the new chapter in true crime.
0: Judgment with Ashley Banfield. All new episodes, Sunday night at
1: eight on Court TV. So prosecutors brought in all these extra experts to talk about cause of death. And as we've been saying throughout this entire podcast, this is extremely unusual, extremely unusual, unprecedented. And uh, they may very well be successful. It it may work. And they may win this trial. But but there's a bigger picture here. Because this is the chief medical examiner for Hennepin County. And, And basically, prosecutors got his opinion, did not like it, and went out and hired other people because these, these, these other opinions as well, there may be some sort of a similarity. They are seeing things completely differently. And all of a sudden now prosecutors have questioned the credibility of the chief medical examiner of Hennepin County. Well, they're not going to get up in court and say he was wrong But look at what they did. They had to bring in outside people because they didn't trust his opinion. And let's go back to what I talk about all the time, which is the role of a prosecutor. It's not to win the case. It's to seek justice, which is the truth, which is about credibility. You don't bury evidence that is bad for you. The evidence is what it is. And then you make the arguments if you believe that evidence supports whatever charges you have, you have brought in the case. So when it comes to what caused the death of George Floyd, they did not believe their own medical examiner that works for the county. Now, he doesn't work for prosecutors. He's independent, but he's the one that's used in every other case. And now you're saying you can't trust him? So what happens in the next trial? Like, you only believe your medical examiner when you want to believe him? That's not your job as a prosecutor, is it? You're going to pick and choose whether or not you believe your own medical examiner? How does that work? Your job is to seek the truth and justice, and you're going to decide independently what justice is? You, as a lawyer, are going to say, well, listen, Mr. Medical Examiner, you, you, no, your findings don't jive with my theory of the case, so I'm going to get somebody else who will. That's what defense attorneys do. That's what criminal defense attorneys do. They go out and hire the experts to refute whatever the medical examiner is saying. This is not a case of uh, we have to win at all costs. Prosecutors have to get to the truth and justice. And, and are you saying that when, when the medical examiner gives you a result and an opinion that doesn't jive with what you as a lawyer think was the cause of death, you're going to go out and find an expert? Because the truth is, this is the dirty truth. You shop around enough, you'll find an expert that'll say whatever you want him to say. And I criticize criminal defense attorneys all the time for doing that. And I say, oh, yeah, you're expert, whatever. Your expert will say whatever he needs to say. She'll say whatever she needs to say. And now prosecutors are doing that? I have a problem with it. I have a, a, a 10,000% problem. And I'm not saying that these other experts who came in lied, but now you're expert shopping for cause of death. That's not what we do. We just don't do that. And then I think this puts into question every case that is brought in Hennepin County now, because all of a sudden prosecutors are telling us and telling the world well, you can't, you know, you can't, you're not always going to believe what this uh, medical examiner says. He's not, always, he's not always right. You can't really trust him 100%. You might have to listen to some other experts because in every other case, the other experts are going to be for the defense. And that's why I have a problem with this, a big problem with it. You know, the, and the bottom line is, you know, Dr. Baker, what he said could be used to prove the case. It just wasn't exactly the way you wanted it. He still said homicide, subdual restraint caused by the police officers. But then you went expert shopping. I, I you know, Michael said it was supplemental. It, it, I, I don't agree. I don't agree with supplemental. I, I, I believe it was contradictory to what Dr. Baker found. And I think this puts at risk every other case in Hennepin County. Murder case, homicides. Anyhow, that's my opinion. I'm a former prosecutor. That's the way I I see the job. I don't see the job as shopping around for your facts. You do your investigation and they are and it says what it says. It is what it is. And then and then you decide, is that a crime? Is that not a crime? Not a crime occurred. I don't like what he said. So I'm going to find somebody else to say something different. Don't like that. I'm not comfortable with it. I would not be comfortable with it as a prosecutor. That's it, folks for this week's podcast, but we are in the middle of this trial. There will be a verdict. So make sure you find Court TV. We are everywhere. If you've got a digital antenna, rescan it, find Court TV. Um, Check the show notes. We've got great links, more background and in-depth analysis of this case. But to watch the case, just turn on Court TV. Uh, This is a trial that really is too important to miss. I'm Vinnie Politan. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you next week.